Happy Sabbath. Does everybody enjoy uh, the Sabbath today? How many were here for Sabbath school today? Oh, wow. I like to see that many hands. There's a lot of people. That's about half the church are here today. We're in Sabbath school. Praise God. Praise God for that. Sabbath school is a very important part of the church. And uh, I think when we come into the unity of the faith, we will see the importance of small fellowship groups such as Sabbath school. And today's message is a continuation of E.H. Jack Sequeira's message about the church, which is an extension of Christ. Did you know that communists originated in this country? A long time ago. Before the wars came into place. We were talking a little bit about communism in our Sabbath school class today. And did you know that communism still was in existence at the time of Christ? It wasn't a new concept that came later. It actually was during the time of Christ, because if you ever remember of Alexander the Great, how many have heard of that name before? He originated communism into the world. But there were Greek philosophers that had an influence in his decision as he conquered the world as fast as he did. That was the status that he had. And that was the government that he had. Now, like every form of government, there are positive things and negative things about it. Even in the United States, our government has positive points and negative points, does it not? So any government issue type, whether it's communism or um, any other type of religion, they all have their positives and their negatives. The early European settlers of Roanoke, Jamestown, and the Plymouth practiced forms of communism at Plymouth Rock. The fields were communally owned and all toiled together for the common good. As a result, many of the settlers starved to death. You may ask, why would that be if everybody came together and was on the same page? Finally, in desperation, the pilgrims broke up the land trust, parceling it out to individual owners, and the harvest grew bounteous. The Plymouth Colony fiasco illustrates the problem with communism almost everywhere. The lazy members of the community take advantage of the more industrious. All of this history helps us to understand the difficulties Paul encountered among his own converts in the middle of the first century. The persecution of A.D. 34 had scattered the believers and their lifestyle abroad. About 18 years later, Paul composed the Thessalonian epistles, often regarded as the first documents of the New Testament ever written. In Thessalonians, we are an interesting dynamic between the Christians who were living off the land, so to speak, and those who worked for a living. Those groups who refused to work were either a holdover from the earlier Christian community in Jerusalem, or else, like the Millerite movement, a replay of it. They thought Jesus was about to come. Why work? Does that sound kind of familiar? 
So Paul encouraged the believers of Thessalonica to work with their hands and be independent and to warn those who were still idle. The time was at hand to take action. But at the end of the 4th century, Christendom was bemoaning the lapse of the church. It is not for lack of miracles that the church has stayed. It is because we have forsaken the angelic life of Pentecost and fallen back on private property. If we lived as they did, with all things common, we should soon convert the world without any need of miracles at all. And if you think about it, this message is especially relevant today. And I want to show you why. And there's something missing in here. I'm not going to point it out, but I will point it out by the end of this message, what was missing. You might already see it when I show it. We see church ministry as this. Preparing for the ministry... Ministry to the church and ministry to the community. Preparing for the ministry is behind the scenes stuff. This is where we have spiritual and spiritual preparation. We have business meetings, board meetings, departmental meetings, church plant duties, administrative duties. And ministry to the church with an open invitation to the community to come. We have worship service, prayer meetings, Sabbath school, church school, fellowship meals. Social events, music concerts, weddings and funerals. And then finally we have ministry to the community with an open invitation to the church through Bible seminars and events, coordinated group outreach activities, health seminars and events, community service work, vacation Bible school, creation seminars, grief support groups, etc., etc., etc. You can see that this church may be busy, but what is missing in this busy church? There's something missing here. We're all familiar with these things, but there is still something missing. And we're going to look a little bit at that today, and by the end of the the message, you will see what was missing. So keep that in mind. Obviously, we need a reformation. That's the normal way of doing church, everybody says. That's the normal routines. Yes, it is. But church is an extension of Christ. Christ did all those things, but not by himself. He didn't organize it as well as we did, but he was a great organizer. He knew how to start the process and continue it effectively. So the message today is, what shall we do to receive that latter rain, to be prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ? What shall we do to see this church grow where the walls can't hold everybody? And where we have to set groups up in different areas of Appleton, Oshkosh, over in the west where I am, Watoma, Red Granite, Berlin, other areas that you may be from. What needs to happen? What shall we do? Acts chapter 2 is our basis of our message today. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 2, we will get on with this. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 5, since you read the first four verses. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, 
because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea, and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia and Egypt, and in parts of Libya, about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What means this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it is not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaks concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with my countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he, he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the remission of sins, and he shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward, crooked generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Is that our desire? Is that our desire to receive the latter rain? To receive the Holy Spirit? To be involved with ministry? And how important that is to the church body of believers? Or are we content to do what we always do? Sit in the pews. Listen to a sermon. Go home. Come back next week and start all over again. Jesus said, go. The message is for all of us and me, everybody. We must go and witness. We must go and proclaim the message that God has for us to proclaim to the world. If we don't get a chance to go over to Asia or Africa or South America, at least as missionaries, we can be community missionaries around this church, around our homes, in our businesses, and so forth. That is what the apostles were doing before the early rain came onto them. They were out there proclaiming the message of Jesus helping people to see who Jesus was. Not necessarily the doctrines were the most important thing, but the most important thing, the bottom line is, Jesus, the Savior of the world, has come to save you, He's come to save me, and He wants you to be a part of His family. Otherwise, all of us are condemned to die. On the day of Pentecost, Penta, means 50. The Christian church is an extension of Christ. As we turn to the second chapter of the book of Acts, we will discover how this came about in the life of the early church. Their history has been recorded for our benefit. For what happened to them will be repeated in these last days. In this exiting chapter 2 of Acts, we read the account of the church becoming one body in Christ. Our scripture reading tells us how it all began. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. What does that mean? We're all together in one place like we are today. It doesn't have to be in the sanctuary. It could be in a small group ministry in your community. You're all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. It didn't say 
temple. It said house. There's a difference there. If you compare the sanctuary or the temple or the church with house, what kind of feelings do you have comparing the two? This is a public gathering, a large public gathering, which is important for a Christian to have as well. But more importantly is when we're in the house of somebody else, when we're together as a group together. Look at Jesus and the disciples up in the upper room. That was where they experienced their most intimate connection with Christ. And that is where we are to experience as Christians the most intimate connections we can have that Christ wants us to have together, unified in the body of believers. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, of course, this is referring to the tongues, speaking in tongues, not necessarily just saying something that nobody else understands. You can look at this in different ways. You can look at this in a concept of proclaiming the message throughout the entire world, getting the message out to every known language there is. You can also look at it as the opportunity to minister to the locals, speaking to them about the love of Christ. First, this great event happened on the day of Pentecost. The word Pentecost is a Greek word which means 50. It was called that because it occurred 50 days after the Passover. This coincided with the Old Testament feast day called Feast of Weeks or Feast of Wave Loaves. The Jews were to number seven weeks or 49 days. Does that number sound familiar? After the Passover and on the 50th day, the day after the 49 days, they were to celebrate this Feast of Weeks. This feast came at the end of the wheat harvest in Palestine. The Jews were to take this new wheat, the first fruits of the harvest, and make two loaves of bread. These two loaves symbolized the day when the two nations, Jews and Gentiles, were to be made one in Christ. This is how Jesus himself described it in John 10:16. if you want to go there. I'll be going through these scriptures rather quickly. I have them in front of me. But John 10.16 says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The lost sheep. You refer to how many people are the lost sheep? Those who are not in the body of believers right now. Those who were but now are out of the body of believers for whatever reason it may be. Those who are shut-ins who can't make it to church. Um... These sheep must be all gathered in. Those of other denominations, they all must be united to one before the Pentecost of the final days comes. All through the Old Testament times, the Jews believed that they alone constituted the people of God. Even the apostles of Jesus are victims to this mentality. Even we can be victims of this mentality as well. We're the chosen ones. We're the ones who are going to go to heaven. Everyone else, too bad. We're here. You're not. That is why God gave the vision of the unclean animals to Peter and asked him to kill and eat, implying that in Christianity, the Gentiles must no longer be considered unclean or outsiders. According to the Apostle Paul, this is the great mystery that was hidden in ages past, but was to be manifest in the New Testament times. And we're still living in the New Testament times. Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3, 1-6 for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, 
Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it was now been received by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. In this beautiful loaf symbolism lies the heart of the Christian church. On the day of Pentecost, in harmony with the Old Testament feast day of loaves, the Holy Spirit came upon God's people, some 120 of them, and united them into one body. These individuals were all baptized by the Spirit into one body. This baptism of the Spirit is what Jesus promised, and now it had become a reality. Note how Paul describes this unity of the body in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit and into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Ephesians 4, 1-6, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the key essential that makes the church radically different from the world a world that is divided by all kinds of factions. When the Holy Spirit was poured on the disciples of Christ at Pentecost, he brought with him the key ingredient that makes God what he is by nature and by character, which is known in 1 John 4, 8 as agape love. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This love poured out into the hearts of the people made it possible to unite the church into one body. This was the greatest witness the early church gave of the power of the gospel in their lives. John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We just got a new website. Does anybody know that that website, what it's called? Church Loves You. Org. What does that mean? If people see that and they come to this church, are they going to experience that the church body loves them? I hope so. I hope that we can open up our arms, give them hugs, welcome them into the community of faith, despise the fact that they are not members of the church. Yet, eventually it may come. The most important thing they need to do is what? Accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and then follow Him and follow His ways and understand the truth, the pure truth of the Gospel. 
and not just all these facades that are all around us. And in our own lives, we may be believing some facades in our own lives that have no place in the body of believers. We need to overcome that through the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit and through the love of Christ and other fellow Christians as well and to accept them for who they are. That is the unity of love. Secondly, when the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples on the day of Pentecost, he came as a rushing wind. Now you know the powers of wind. It is very destructive. But it also can be a blessing if it's a hot day. So what are we talking about here as a rushing wind in Acts 2.2? Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Wind is a symbol of invisible power. Do we have an invisible power working with us today? Yes, we do. Who is it? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our invisible power. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus about the Spirit being like the wind. John 3, verses 7 and 8. You should not be surprised at my saying. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The power of the wind is sovereign. It is mighty, powerful, and irresistible. But it is invisible. You cannot see the wind, but you can see its mighty force when it strikes in the same way. This is to be the characteristic of the church controlled by the Spirit. When properly functioning, the church is a band of men and women bound together by the life of Christ, accomplishing great things through the invisible power of the Spirit. This, too, is an essential that goes to make up God's church. As with the wind, you cannot see the source of power, but it moves mightily to change and transform lives. Third, with the wind came fire. Acts 2.3 They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. What is fire a symbol of? Cleansing? Purifying? How is God going to purify the earth at the end of time? He's going to burn it to ashes, correct? That's how He's going to purify the earth. So this fire represents a purification process. Fire is used in two ways in the Old Testament. It is a purifier, burning up dross, garbage, and waste. It also symbolizes enthusiasm, passion, and an inner hunger for truth. When you hear somebody's on fire for the Lord, what is that? What do you think immediately of? Maybe an evangelist who's all excited about the message and jumping all over the stage and saying this and saying that and getting people excited, getting them on the edge of their seat, right? You can say that preacher's on fire for the Lord because he gets everyone else on fire for the Lord. Note how Jeremiah put it in Jeremiah 20, verse 9b. His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Do we still have that fire in our bones, in our inner parts, desiring to proclaim that message? John the Baptist, who prepared the way for the first coming of Jesus, was described as a burning fire. And he predicted that when Jesus came on the scene, he would baptize men and women 
with fire. In Luke 3, 15 to 16, It says this, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with what? Water. Well, what do we just look at? There's more to it than just the water. you got the wind and the fire too. But one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to unite. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with Fire. Walking down a street in New York City, D.L. Moody, everybody knows D.L. Moody, began to ponder on a sentence he had just heard. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man who is wholly yielded to him. As he thought on these words, a great hunger came into his heart, and he cried, O God, make me that man. What did God do? He made him that man. He had the desire. He had the fire. He had the compassion. He asked the Lord to help him and make it possible, and the Lord did. We can have the same experience. If we have the passion, we have the desire, we have the competence to follow through with what the Lord is calling us to do, let's follow through with it and do it. If for some reason you're hesitant because you don't have the training or the calling needed, there are resources available to help train in those areas. If you were at camp meeting last year, who, were at, who was at camp meeting last year? There was a couple that came from Michigan. They had a personal ministries meeting. And they looked at a TCC church. You say, what's TCC? I'll get to that in a little bit. But the church, what they did is they made the church a place of training, also a place to worship, as we do always, but also a place of training members to go out and do things. A lot of times we depend upon the camp meetings to do our training for us. Why can't we carry that all the way through the year? Why do we have to wait always until camp meeting to have some training done? Or a special event that the conference has? We have composed enough people around here, enough people with experience, Enough people to have a desire to lead out and to teach and to preach and to train others in doing the work. But they can't just do the training. They must do the work themselves as well, side by side, shoulder to shoulder. And then, as that accomplishes the mindset of the church itself, it becomes a church that is actively involved, not just in the business of the church, but everything that is important to the church. And it all starts with each of us. Walking down the street, D.L. Moody mentioned that. I hope that today you can feel that as well. Do you feel the calling that God has for you? That special gift to stand up and say, hey, Lord, here I am. Send me. Finally, the third symbol that accompanied the disciples on the day of Pentecost was the tongues. I don't have a lot of time to go into a lot of detail with this, but all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The purpose of the tongues was not to give the disciples some kind of electric shock so that they would feel all fuzzy inside, nor were the tongues 
they experienced some gibberish that made no sense to those around. It was the language of the people so that they could hear the proclamation of the gospel. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard them speaking in his own language. You can think language as a conversation, right? But if you have somebody who speaks a different language than you, it's hard to relate to them, is it not? And our church is filled with people with different languages. We have language barriers, and we can praise God for that, that our churches come together in which we can open up the opportunity to minister together, even though we don't understand each other's language. But when we work together with the Holy Spirit, God can make miracles happen, just as he did on the day of Pentecost. When those tongues of fire come down, are we able to fulfill that gospel commission that God wants us to fulfill? Are we ready? to fill this church with people that we have no more room for, that we need to open up another church or to break off into smaller groups or to have two services or three or four. A time will come when we'll have to make that decision. But we have to work towards that goal together as a lay body of believers. The Bible divides the history of this world into two distinct periods, the times of Jews and the time of the Gentiles. The gospel was first proclaimed to the Jews, and when probation closed for them as a nation, not individually, God turned to the Gentiles. And just as the Pentecost ushered in the last days for the Jewish nation, I believe we are living in the last days of the Gentile period. Here is one of the reasons I believe this is true. Note what Jesus prophesied concerning the signs of the times in Luke 21, verses 20 to 24. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And that came from Acts chapter 21, verses 20 to 24. So what shall we do? Four essential ingredients that we covered today. One, I, including you, must open the way for the lost sheep. We must be willing to accept the lost sheep into our body of believers, despite the fact that they may not believe exactly what we do, or they may be having some problems that they need to deal with that aren't right our church standards, but we must accept them and open the way and welcome them. I must allow the Holy Spirit to lead me. Are you and I willing to let the Holy Spirit lead us in the direction God wants us as individuals and as groups to go? Three, I must have a burning desire to proclaim the gospel to everyone I meet. Do we have a burning desire to proclaim that gospel message to everyone we meet? or just to those who maybe come to the church on a Sabbath. We need to be aware of that. We must have that burning desire constantly. 
And granted, I'm just as guilty as the rest of us, that that burning desire doesn't exist as strong as it used to years ago. Why is that? I think it has something to do with the lack of constant discipleship, working ministries within the church where we're always involved in doing something with someone, not just on Sabbath, but all week long. Four, we must then share it with others through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And let the Spirit of God do the, the hard lifting. We're here for representatives of Christ, but we can't represent Him if our connection to Him is not good. We need to have a good connection with Christ. And when we have a good connection with Christ, we hope that others can see that same connection. Are you and I willing to fulfill the Gospel Commission through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit? Those are some of the other texts we looked at. Romans 10, 13-15 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That just doesn't mean us. That means everyone who comes, everyone who we meet, everyone whose door we might knock on, if they ask for the forgiveness of their sins, we should be able to pray with them and help them to accept that process. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in if we never told them? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not ever heard of? How many have heard of the Seventh-day Adventist Church before you joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Not too many hands. Why is that? Because the message from one person to the next person is not getting out there. We had a lapse of time in which we were kind of shy about our name. Well, we don't want to say we're Seventh-day Adventists. That will scare them off. We have a name for a purpose. It's been given to us for a purpose. The name itself tells the most two important beliefs that we have as Seventh-day Adventists. The Seventh-day Sabbath and the second coming of Jesus. We're just basically saying, I'm a Sabbath keeper and I believe in the second coming of Jesus and it's going to be soon. That's what our name stands for. Why hide that? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Preaching, yes. All of us have an opportunity to preach, teach, pray. How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring that good news. The coming of Christ, are we ready for it? Are we helping others get ready for it? I hope so. I hope that we can have a change of mind, a reformation within this church. Here's the last part I wanted to show with you. Church ministries is what we looked at in the first part. But we have church ministries plus personal ministry, one-on-one -on -one ministry. It says up there 50 to 100% of members are working together. That was the missing ingredient on the first one. If you noticed it, it only said 20 to 50% of the ministry of the church. And personal ministry, when we combine them together, we have 50 to 100% of members working together with the Holy Spirit, not just in preparation for an evangelistic series, whenever that may come, that would be in this category right... Sorry about that. That would be in this category right here, the Harvesting Gathering, is about the evangelistic series. That's only one part of this concept. The other part is what we need to do. Prepare the soil. Sow the seed. Cultivate the land. Sometimes cultivating the land can be the toughest. 
Harvest ingathering, and then preserve and reproduce. That means when the new members come in through the harvest ingathering, we partner up with them and help them to see which direction to go by the calling of the Holy Spirit in their lives with the right people who have been doing that for many years. And they work together and train that person to go forward. And here are some of those activities you can see over here. I'm not going to go through all of them. But those are the things that we can do in a personal ministry concept. And uh, when we put these to effectiveness, I think you might be able to find something up there that may catch your eye. Maybe that's what the Lord is calling you as an individual to be involved with. So why not let the Holy Spirit guide you and pursue you on that course? The Acts of the Apostles, page 48, says this in our benediction. What was the result of the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost? The glad tidings of a risen Savior were carried to the uttermost parts of the inhabited world. As the disciples proclaimed the message of redeeming grace, hearts yielded to the power of this message. The church beheld converts flocking to her from all directions. Backsliders were reconverted. Sinners united with believers and seeking the pearl of great price. Some who had been the bitterest opponents of the gospel became its champions. Paul is a good example of that. Paul of Tarsus. Every Christian saw in his brother a revelation of divine love and benevolence. One interest prevailed. One subject of emulation swallowed up all the others. The ambition of the believers was to reveal the likeness of Christ's character and to labor for the enlargement of his kingdom. Amen.